So the reading this morning is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through to 20, and it's on page 1063 in the Pew Bibles. Hebrews chapter 6, 1 to 20, so it's the whole chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because to their own harm they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it, and that produces vegetation useful to those for whom it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed, and at the end will be burned. Even though we are speaking this way, dear loved friends, in your case we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the life you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of hope. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end, so that you won't become lazy, but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. When, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them, confirming, for, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner, because he has become a high priest forever, according to the order of his death. Here is the reading. So Francis Drake was one of um, many Englishmen who became famous during the reign of Elizabeth I, so we're talking the 16th century. He sailed around the world, crossed the Atlantic many times, was involved in numerous sea battles in various parts of the world. He was twice Member of Parliament. He most famously defeated the Spanish Armada in England when it came to England, or when it was trying to get to England in 1588. There are heaps of well-known stories about Sir Francis Drake. Uh, how he insisted on finishing his game of bowls, even though the armada was in sight. I don't know about bowls, what sort of bowls he was using, like how dangerous that is on a boat. Like, but anyway, you know, the, 
whether I have big weighty ones or how that works. Um, he spread his cloak over a muddy puddle so the Queen could walk over it. He once tried to claim California as a British possession. There's, these are all well-known things, well, for some of us who were interested in history, that kind of thing. What's not so well-known um, is a prayer that he wrote, or perhaps not as well-known, which is still in use in some churches today. And I'll read it out, and then you can kind of figure maybe why it's relevant for, the, for today. O Lord God, when you give to your servants to endeavour any great matter, grant us also to know that it is not the beginning, but the continuing of the same, until it is thoroughly finished, which yields its true glory, through him who for the finishing, work, finishing of your work laid down his life for us, our Redeemer Jesus Christ. It's a prayer about perseverance, about starting something and about continuing on and finishing, finishing the good, the good fight, the good um, strength. That's what Hebrews is really all about. That's what Hebrews 6 is all about. As we heard in the story, it's about maturing and growing, but it's about also that's part of, that's the means of, of continuing on in the faith, of persevering, of carrying on. And that's our theme this morning of, is to be one who perseveres, who keeps on keeping on, keeping on about Jesus. Um, after all, how many things do we start <laughs> and not finish? Maybe you've learnt, you know, learning a new language or trying to lose weight or painting a picture, reading a long and difficult book, opening a business, building a house. All sorts of things, you can move into them pretty quickly and you realise you're not cut out for it and it might be better to put it aside. The Hebrews are encouraged to keep on with the Christian life, to keep going, to keep persevering. Have a look at verses 11 and 12. Open up 1063 because there in the middle is the, the section where it's talking about that. Now we desire each of you, verse 11, to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of hope until the end. So as not to become lazy, but inherit the promises through faith and, look at that key word, perseverance. To inherit the promise through perseverance, through keep on going on. In this passage, as in throughout Hebrews, there are two things that we're going to look at. There's a warning and there's a promise. And the warning and promise go together. They're combined. You don't take them apart. They're, they're both designed, the warning and the promise, to help us persevere. So we have a warning against, look, a looking back warning, I suppose, against giving up and a promise to hold on to. So a warning, looking back, and a promise to hold on to. And both of them, the warning and the promise, are both designed to help us keep, keep persevering, keep going. Let's have a look at these two. The warning is in verses 1 to 12 of chapter 6. There's a warning there about giving up. Verses 1 to 2. Uh, verse 1, it basically says, look, therefore, connected to the chapter 5, let us leave elementary teaching and go on to maturity. Basically, it says, as we saw in this little story, grow. Keep growing. 
Be people that move forward in Jesus. Notice it says, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings. That's like, that's baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of dead, eternal judgment. It's saying those are the things that happen when you become a Christian or you know about moving on. But that's the foundation. Notice it says foundation. So it's not saying the gospel is something you move on from, but it's saying grow in the gospel. Keep growing. People who take steps forward and grow. The picture at the end of chapter 5, of course, was of a grown adult who only drinks milk um, and never moves on to solid food. And if you'd met such a person, you'd think that there's something seriously wrong. This is the, the warning, really, and the encouragement to grow, to be people that, hey, if you look back, okay, maybe not a couple of months, but if you look back years later, years ago, is, are there steps that you're growing? Are you, are you growing? And there are four little characteristics here in the text about signs of immaturity, if you're wondering. Now, there's four of them. I'm going to give you, I'm going to look at, we're just going to look at two. It's almost like being spiritual toddlers, have a look. We'll have a look at two because one of them is, well, they're both about being spiritual dodges. In verse 11, chapter 5, so just going back a little bit, the author says, about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain. Now, why is it hard to explain? This is a sign of immaturity. Why is it hard to explain? It's not because it's intricate and it's very difficult and it's big concepts. No, he just says, look what he says, verse 11. The author says, you've become lazy to understand. It's just people not listening. That's what stops growing. If you're just not interested in listening, and you might think about theology and God stuff, you think, oh man, that's, what does that have to do with my life? I'm not that interested. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't have much relevance or practicality. So the, the challenge is, are we people that are listening to God? wanting to hear from him, looking at his word. And if there are things that are a little bit, might have to do a bit of work, trying to understand who Melchizedek is, what, that, what's that, what is that about? How, does that, how is that relevant? So am I a good listener? By that I mean someone who's listening to God, who's learning about God, learning about what he means for your life. The author says this is a mark of immaturity. The second thing in verse 12, again, chapter 5 at the bottom, back of chapter 5, you need someone to teach you basic principles. You ought to be teachers. But you're like baby with, with milk, babies with milk. Now, is he saying all of us are ministers or teachers in that sense? No, he's saying, the author's saying, if you know about repentance, you know about Jesus, you know about... Baptism, you've been washed again, you're God's person. A sign of maturity is someone who is able to move that to other people, able to share God with other people, who Jesus is, what he's done. We talked about this this morning and some people after service were, I don't know, I don't really want to share God with other people. I'm a bit, you know, I feel like I shouldn't push it on people. And, but maturity is about being able to say, this is what God has done in my life. Let me share it with you. Just what he's done in my life. This is who Jesus is. And being not lazy, but actually understanding God. And so you're able to actually say to people, this is how the theology works. This is how God's stuff works. 
The morning is summarised in verses 4 to 5. It's impossible to renew those who have been enlightened, who have tasted God's good word and who have fallen away. It's talking in particular not about people who are coming to faith for the first time. It's about people that, who tasted God's goodness, who know about God, people who are meant to be growing, and it talks about them falling away. And then it has pictures in verses 7 to 8 of different types of ground. That, those that produce good fruits and those that produce thorns and thistles. So the text has a warning to grow up, to be people to listen to God, to know his gospel, to be able to share it with others. And throughout Hebrews, there are warnings. So this is just one warning. And throughout Hebrews, there's others as well. And as you hear it this morning, I wonder where are you? You know, where does this leave you? Because some of us, as we hear about, in particular, that verse that says some have fallen away and it's impossible to be renewed. Some of us fall into the category. Which category do we fall into? Do we, do we say, some of us will think, okay, that's going to send me into introspection. Is that me? Am I one of the fallen ones? Then there are some of others, others of us who will hear these warnings and will be thinking about other people. And we'll be thinking, gee, I wish so-and-so was here. I wish Joe was here. He needs to hear this. <laughs> I don't think there's many Joes around here. I'm just choosing a random name. You know that. I wish Joe was here. Joe really needs to hear this. And then maybe a third category, there are some of us who perhaps haven't listened or aren't really listening at all. Hebrews has the warning passages, but you'll notice that directly after the warning passage, there is this passage about a promise. And they're always connected. Why? Have a look at the promise. The warning is keep growing, keep growing, keep growing, keep growing. But let's have a look at the promise. In verses 13 to 20, there are promises. The author describes the promise of God. And this promise is so strong, so indestructible, it can't be broken. And the promise is so secure, it's because of what God has done and it's in Christ. Let's have a look at how strong this promise is. Because you've heard the warning. And now we think, okay, what, okay that's the warning. Let's look at how strong this promise is. Look at verses 13 to 14. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore it by himself, I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you. God made a promise to Abraham. And what was the promise? I will greatly bless you and multiply you. I'll make you a nation. You're going to come out of your own nation and you're going to be scared because it's unknown where you're going to go. I will be with you. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. Okay, there's a promise. But what's a promise? A promise is a covenant. Another word for it. And how does a covenant work? A covenant works by, on one side, I'm going to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. On the other side, the other person says, I'm going to do this, do this, do this, and do this. Okay, let's, if I keep my side of the bargain, you're going to keep your side of the bargain, let's make a covenant, let's make a promise together. It happens throughout the ancient Near East. It's not just Israel. It happens with all sorts of other countries. We have documented evidence of covenants going on left, right and centre at this time. So what's so unique about this? Keep reading, verses 16 and 17. When God made the promise, 
He had no one greater to swear by. God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose or promise even more clearly. He guaranteed with an oath. Verses 16 and 17. Through two unchangeable things, he has made the promise. What, what, what is this saying? The covenant works where you make a promise. One party makes a promise. The other party makes a promise. And then they swear by oaths. And what's an oath? An oath is to say, may I die, you know, or may something really terrible happen to me if I don't fulfil my part of the promise. What God's saying here in verses 16 and 17, it says two unchangeable things. God made a promise in the covenant. Not only did he make a promise, he swore an oath. Now, who can God swear by? No one greater than him. And so he swears by an oath. He's both the promise and the oath. And those are the two unchangeable things that are so secure. How did God swear by the oath? What does all this mean? In Genesis 12, he made a promise to Abraham. I'll bless you. I will make you a great nation. What happens in Genesis 15? (laughs) Genesis 15, you can maybe look it up later. He cuts... Animals are cut in two and they're put right down the middle of this hole. Just imagine two halves of a goat, two halves of a lamb, two halves of something else. And Abraham goes into a deep sleep. And this is is the covenant ceremony. What happens is people are meant to walk down in the middle through the two animals on either side. And you're meant to walk down and say, you're basically saying, if I keep this promise, it's going to happen to me. That's the oath. I'm going to keep this oath. May I be cut in two. And what happens in Genesis 15? Abraham goes into a deep sleep. And Abraham sees a light and the torch, the flame, walking through between the animals on both sides. Abraham sees the fact that God himself will walk through that valley of death. And so I know it's all, there's all this, all this background, but as we get to Hebrews here, and as he's talking about the promise that was made to Abraham and then the oath that was sworn, what it's saying is, God is saying, my promise is so secure I'm going to walk through and make the oath myself. I'm going to say, may it be to me death if I don't keep my promise to you, Abraham. Now imagine God saying, may it be to me my own death if I don't keep my own promise. (laughs) How secure is that promise? And what does it mean? We all know what it means. Whose death is it? (laughs) Look at verses 19 to 20. He keeps going. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has gone there on our behalf. He's talking about his own son. May it be onto me and may I die. His own son will die for us. And his own son, it goes as an anchor, the picture is as an anchor that goes in behind the inner sanctuary, behind the curtain, as we saw a few weeks ago, into the heavens before God. Now, can it be any more secure, the promise, 
of what God has done for us because it's his own son through the broken bodies. It's the promise from it to Abraham that he's found fullness in Jesus who has died for us, has gone through the other side. And so as we hear the warning to grow, we need to hear that this promise is so secure. So the covenant is not... May I, I'm on one side and one side, may I keep... Notice the covenant is all God. Because God is saying, I'm gonna, it's so secure and so sure, may it be to me. And what does that mean? It means, it means as we persevere with God and with Jesus, as we keep walking step by step, walking forward... We can walk by faith and by trust in him. We can trust him. And you remember those great examples that Jane was talking about, I feel scared to go out for the day um, because I've got to... Was it because I've got to confront someone? No, it wasn't because I've got to confront someone. What was it? There was three little examples. Yeah. Um, one was that I need to love someone who... I need to... I need to love someone who's going to be mean to me. That's right. Um, that I need to keep trusting God even when everything seems to be really bad. Yeah. And the other one is I don't have the energy for the day. I don't have the energy for the day. There's, I, there's so much I've got to actually probably confront and or do and I just don't want to. And who's going to give me the power to get through the day and how am I going to get through the day? And this is what perseverance is. It's day by day, but it actually has to be through trust, doesn't it? Because everything changes. Everything is changing in life. And you can trust as you walk by faith, as you try to persevere. There's a few options. You can trust other people. um, But everything changes. You could trust yourself. If you just trust yourself all the time, there are certain things that, that end up, don't they? You, you get really hardened if you're just trusting yourself because everyone else is going to let you down and so on and so forth. And you've only got yourself to... But everything changes. Nothing is secure. It says, Heraclitus, I think he was 500 BC, you can correct me on that, you can find out, if, but thousands of years ago, he says, you can't step into the same river twice. So like... You walk into the river, walk out of the river, two seconds later you walk into the river, it's not the same river. He observed, because the water's flowing and because you haven't sat in the right same spot. This is, they figured this out 3,000 years ago. Because you can't, can't step into the same river twice. And everything is changing. And even, you know, people that we think we can trust, um, we want someone to be there for us. Um, someone who is secure, someone who we can trust, who is always there, but we won't necessarily be there for them. <laughs> Everything changes. I know, I know a friend um, whose husband had a... There was some accident or something happened and it happened, something happened to do with his brain and he came, ended up being a person totally different from who he really was earlier, or at least that part of him was probably who he really was, but it was coming out in different ways. 
And it was very different for her, of course, because this person was a totally different person. As you walk by faith every day, you can trust other people. Sure, you're at some level, but they're going to send you crazy because they're going to change on you or things are going to happen. You can trust yourself, you're going to get hardened. Or you can trust the one who is the anchor in the storms of life and who is the anchor in the uncertainties of the water of life. And so by faith or the idea of perseverance, it's not growing where we have to be introspective. Oh, I haven't grown enough. But it's, it's every day taking another step forward by faith, trusting him that he will give you the strength, that he's taking you where he wants to take you. Because at the end of the day, isn't it odd we have this desire in us where we want someone to be for us all the time, to be secure and to be there for us? Well, we're not necessarily going to give it, but isn't that interesting? We have that in us. How does it get filled? Well, look at the picture of that anchor. The anchor that holds within the veil. And imagine the picture. What is that picture of an anchor? It's an anchor that goes into rock that goes beyond the boat and the water that's changing and flux. And it goes into the rock that's immovable. The rock that is immobile. That is permanent. And the picture there is of the one who has gone through the veil, through the inner sanctuary, In time and space, nothing is secure. But in this section, it's the one who has gone into the very presence of God. The anchor that goes behind the curtain. We need someone that is not in space and time, but someone that's going to go into the immovable, steadfast rock of God. So Hebrews has these passages of warning all throughout. But the warning is to be taken with the promise. Because how does this work? I don't know how God's working, but I know that he's going to, for some of us, he's going to cause us to hear the warning and we're going to be introspective and we're going to turn in on ourselves and say, am I there? Am I one of the fallen ones? Am I falling away? And so on. But that's why the promise, the promise is there. And it's God's covenant. He's the one that's sure. You can be assured if you have turned to Jesus, if you know what God has done for you. But then there are some of us who are going to be not even listening or perhaps have not even thought about it or not even interested. Well, the warning's there. The warning is the means that God uses to draw us to him, to help us to see our need for him, to to turn away from self and to start trusting him more. God is like any parent... Uh, No father says to their little toddler, if you don't grow up, I'm going to stop loving you. Nor does a mother say, when you grow up, I'm going to love you more. A good parent loves their toddler with an endless love already. But of course they want them to grow and they want them to take one step forward every day. And they want them to be people that have trust in him. 
throughout Hebrews. Uh, there are, as I said, there are other warning passages and promises. And if you want, when you go home today or later on, have a look through and see if you can find other warning passages. But have a look through and see if you can find the promises. Because you'll find the promise right there. And you'll hear the warning and then you'll find the promise and you'll go, but the promise is so, so far beyond, so secure. How does that work? God uses these, mean, these warnings as a means to keep his people, those who are listening, to keep his people walking by faith one step in front of the other, persevering, loving him, loving others, keeping on, keeping on with those hard things that we've got to do each day. Let me finish with a story. Um, in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, you know about the lion, the witch in the wardrobe, that story probably the most, but there's, there's six books in them and the, at the last battle is the last book. Uh, and in the last battle, there's a scene, um, there's the four children. The four children end up kings and queens of Narnia. And in the last battle, there's a scene which represents heaven. And in that last scene, one of the children isn't there. The name's Susan, Susan Pevensey in the, in the story. And even within the story, it's such a jarring and obvious thing that she's missing. And one of the characters asks, why Susan isn't there? And here's the answer. My sister Susan, this is what Peter says, my sister Susan is no longer a friend of Narnia. Whenever you try to get her to come and talk about Narnia or do anything about Narnia, she says, what wonderful memories you have. Fancy you still thinking about all those funny games we used to play when we were children. She thinks, of course, to grow up means to leave behind stories or myths or things like that. But the writer of Hebrews is saying to grow up is actually to go deeper into what God has done for you, to keep living for him, to keep learning from him and to keep walking every day. Let's pray. Father, we recognise the, um, the warnings. Help us to hear them for what they are as genuine warnings. But help us to couple that with the promise, the sure, secure promise of your anchor, of of what you have done in Jesus. This week, help us to walk by faith every day.